Hi, this is Pastor Tom, and I want to welcome you to our look at Matthew chapter 27, our first day of looking through this chapter that talks so clearly about the love of Christ for us. This week, we're continuing to look at the night before and the day that Jesus died, from the upper room to the garden to the trials to the cross. These are very holy chapters. These are personal moments for every one of us as we see how much Christ loves us, all that he did for us. In the midst of this story of what Christ did for us, we have alongside of it the stories of how everybody responded to it, the reality of life, of how people respond even in the midst of Jesus giving his life. And in the first 10 verses of chapter 27, we hear the end of the story of Judas. Let me read those verses for you. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins, and they said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now first, notice at the end that even in his sin, Judas was fitting in with the plan of God. The prophecy had said exactly that this was going to happen. Our sins separate us from God, but they can't separate us from God's plan. God's plan is greater than our sin. I'm not saying that God plans for us to sin. He does not. But his plan is greater than our sin, and his plan can work even in the midst of our sin. Now, as you look at Judas in this moment of remorse that comes at the end of his life, I'd like to go back to last week for a moment and to look at three kinds of sorrow. The last of them we see here at the beginning of this week. Last week, we saw the sorrow of Jesus in the garden as he bowed and prayed, and we saw the sorrow of Peter in his betrayal. And here we see the sorrow of Judas for what he's done. When you look at these kinds of sorrow, you you learn something about who we are, how God has made us, and how we grow. The sorrow of Jesus, first of all, the sorrow in Gethsemane, this is not the sorrow of doing anything wrong. He'd done nothing wrong. He's sorrowful over a sinful world, and he's also sorrowful over what he's being called to do to meet the needs of that sinful world. Sometimes you have sorrow in serving. The sorrow of a parent who has to discipline their child, or a boss who has to let someone go. Even though they know it's the right thing to do, they feel deep sorrow in doing it. Or a Christian who's dealing with a brother or sister who's caught up in sin. You don't want to talk to them about it. It's sorrowful to even bring it up, but it must be done. That sorrow is painful, but it's also good because the fact that you sorrow in that circumstance, it shows your love for the people that you serve. It also shows, you know, the pain of sin and the reality of sin. And that's what Jesus faced in the garden, that kind of sorrow. And now when you look at Peter and you look at Judas, you see two different kinds of sorrow, both that resulted from their sin, things that they did that they knew were wrong. In Peter's case, you see the tears of Peter. We saw it last week in the courtyard. These were tears of repentance. These tears of repentance come from what the Bible calls a godly sorrow. Honest tears, as we saw last week, that were the first step in Peter's restoration. Both Peter 
and Judas betrayed Jesus. One ended up taking his life. The other ended up living a life of faith. So what's the difference? They both expressed sorrow in some ways. They both were remorseful about what they had done. But there was something more for Peter. He was also repentant about what he had done. You see, you see repentance with Peter, but with Judas, you'd see just regret, just remorse. Peter had what the Bible calls godly sorrow. Judas just had worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow brings regret that it happened. It brings regret that it didn't work out as you expected. And one of the most important things for you and I to understand for our growth and for you to understand to help other people with their growth in faith is the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. The Bible talks about this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says there that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Judas had worldly sorrow. All he had were his regrets. Worldly sorrow is resentment that it has been found out. It's the sorrow of being caught. It's not the sorrow of wanting to change. It brings depression or anger, and it leads to death. Literally, it led to death. Many times it leads to spiritual death, depression for years and years. In Judas's case, it led to literal death, and it leaves nothing but regret. You see, just being sorry isn't enough. There is a kind of sorrow that is self-focused and destructive to your soul. Now, I know it's easy with some of this to try to um, do a psychological test on everyone else and their kind of sorrow and why they're going through what they're going through. I found it's very hard to judge others unless God tells me, like here in the Bible, why somebody did something. The word is written here not for you to judge someone else and the kind of sorrow they're experiencing. I can't see into their soul. I need to look into my soul. What am I experiencing? Some just ignore worldly sorrow or immediately turn to blaming others. They don't even have this kind of sorrow. But some get so caught up in it And the best that this worldly sorrow can result in is remorse, is regret, is feeling bad that you did or something wrong or that something wrong happened. Just feeling bad that something happened does not bring healing. It brings depression and anger and bitterness and escape and and guilt. I know many believers who have a worldly sorrow even in their relationship with God because they've gotten something confused. They feel bad about being forgiven, about feeling forgiven even. They can't feel forgiven because they can't accept the gift of forgiveness. If your feelings of sorrow cause you to feel farther and farther and farther from your Father in heaven, then it is a worldly sorrow. And God wants instead in our lives a godly sorrow. It's the kind of sorrow that brings repentance, we just read in that verse. It leads to salvation. It leaves no regret. It's the kind of sorrow that Peter had. You're not just sorry for the consequences you face. You're sorry for the action itself. You're sorry for the impact of that action on your relationship with God and with others. How does this godly sorrow feel? It's a combination of conviction, of resolve, and peace. There's a sense of peace in in your relationship with God that launches you into a new commitment that works in your heart for this growing joy. Worldly sorrow wants to just stop feeling bad. Godly sorrow wants to make things right with God and with others. The best that worldly sorrow can result in is remorse, what Judas experienced. But godly sorrow always results in repentance. And it's important to understand as a believer that Satan is always working to create worldly sorrow in you because he wants to take you away from the love of the Father. While God is working to create godly sorrow in you, sorrow over your sins, sorrow over the places you need to repent, sorrow over your thinking that draws you away from God. Satan is looking to condemn you through remorse. God is working to convict and release you through repentance. 
Let me say that again. It's so important to understanding how we grow. Satan is looking to condemn you through remorse. God is working to convict and to release you through repentance. How do I know if it's God convicting me or it's Satan accusing me? Well, does it bring conviction or depression? Does it cause a feeling of repentance or rejection in your relationship with God? Does it lead to grace or does it lead to guilt? Does it leave you with regrets or with rejoicing? You can always tell with the result who is the one who is speaking. What God wants in my life, what he wants in your life is this godly kind of sorrow. Let's, let's pray a simple prayer right now, just asking him that he would give that into our lives. Our Father, we pray, and we ask that you'd help us to be people, men and women of repentance, not just remorse, not just feeling bad about it, but that we would boldly know we can come to you and we can tell you of this sorrow that's in our lives. We can repent, and you will turn us around. You will give us the strength through your Spirit to live in new ways. Maybe there's something on our mind right now, God. We bring it to you. We repent. We bring it to you. We say to you, we want to change. We want to live in a different way by your strength, by your power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow, we're going to see together how all hearts are made clear in the trials of Jesus.